and welcome to Diverse and Inclusive Leaders, the podcast show where I interview the most inspirational and thought-provoking leaders of today and unearth their unique stories of diversity and inclusion to help inspire, educate and motivate others to make the world a better place. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by the incredible Lisa Target. Lisa is the UK General Manager of Tribe the self-serve marketplace that connects brands with everyday people to celebrate them through beautiful content. Lisa joined Tribe from Mail Advertising, where she was responsible for 65% of the publisher's UK digital revenue, having successfully established their standalone commercial operation in Sydney. Within her first year at the helm, Tribe's UK revenues have soared beyond forecast accounting for over 60% of global revenues and showing no signs of slowing. In recognition of such achievements, Lisa's actually been named in the Drums 50 Under 30 and named as one of Diversity Journal's Women Worth Watching in 2018. She's widely acknowledged as a thought leader within marketing and advertising, delivering keynotes at a number of different organizations from PR Week through to ad tech and frequently commenting on industry news for Forbes, The Drum Campaign, Telegraph, The Sun and Business Insider. She also penned the IAB's 2018 Digital Guide to Innovation chapter on micro media owners discussing the democratization of advertising. And if that is not enough, Lisa is actually only 28 years old, which I think is just unbelievable. I'm so pleased to welcome her to the show today. And I'm absolutely honoured, frankly, that I'm having the chance to speak with her today and that all of our listeners... The honor is all mine. The pleasure is mine. I'm excited to be here. Thanks so much, Lisa. And it's incredible and I'm sure very heartwarming to be recognized by so many different and well-known journalists and, and press and media for everything that you've done. And I think it's such a great inspiration for millennial leaders like myself, millennials and zillennials and other leaders to see really strong women like yourself out there really paving the way for business leadership. So... Tell me a little bit about some of the current projects that you're working on at the moment before we go and delve into your background and how you came to be where you are today. Yes. Where do I begin? So Tribe launched about three years ago. We've been in the UK two years now um, and I've been with the business for for coming up to 18 months. And, um, you know, in that time, the success of the UK market, which was our first satellite operation because Tribe is an Australian startup. Um, we've already been able to secure another round of funding and we have just recently launched in the US. So it's been a pretty incredible ride to date. I think, you know, being any, um, any new market, any, any satellite office that's there to kind of prove the concept and, and make waves overseas for, you know, away from the marketing team, away from the executive team, away from our board has been incredible. And, you know, having, you know, what is essentially what was a very small startup in Australia really make waves on, on the global stage in, in an advertising market as mature and as sophisticated as the UK. It's enabled us to bring on investment from, from the UK and also from the US now. So it's all systems go here, but it's a fantastic ride because I've not worked with a startup before. So it's definitely been baptism by fire. Wow, what an incredible story. And I would love for you to share a little with our listeners about some of the leadership 
stories almost that you've had through through going throughout your career as I understand you were so you started in the management role at Tribe when you were 26 and you're actually managing a team of 13 for Microsoft's joint venture which is obviously I mean that's a household name you know going from Microsoft managing a team when you are you know so young with with all due respect up to now being GM at Tribe at at the ripe old age of, of 28. Talk to me through how you managed some of those leadership pieces within the corporates through to the startups and any of the differentials as well I guess through large company, through to small company and the baptism of fire that you talk about? Yeah, I think, um, yes, yeah, so, so originally started out my career as a part of Microsoft's joint venture. They had a joint venture with Australia's biggest TV network and broadcasting company, Channel 9, and also with the Daily Mail. So as part of the team that launched Daily Mail Australia um, back in 2014. And the complexities of I guess running sort of digital revenue across three of those stakeholders was fantastic because, you know, um, we, we very much sort of as a, as a joint venture went head to head with Google and Facebook in terms of data coverage. We had a search proposition um, as a media business. We had amazing products like Xbox and Skype to sell against, but we also had, you know, the world's sort of Australia's best TV content in Channel 9 and a very, very uh, popular um, news source in Daily Mail Australia, which in Australia has a very tabloid celebrity um, sort of steer and is very kind of pop culture driving. So in terms of a media proposition, we were able to get very close with some some key clients and some of Australia's biggest advertisers. And my role was to to drive the growth of, of our four biggest clients. And the only way I think I could do that was through innovation. You know, it was, we had the scale, we had every product you could think of, but to deliver business results to brands like Volkswagen, Audi Group, and what was Australia's equivalent of Sky, a brand called Foxtel, as well as Procter & Gamble, was, you know, thinking differently and thinking about how to drive like I said, real business results for three very, very different clients in three very different categories. And so I was always drawn to to data solution. I was always drawn to what was the next new product. And I was very fortunate to be able to navigate that business, you know, representing our biggest advertisers and push for real change. And I think that that pushed me out of my comfort zone very early. And fortunately, with a bit of success, it did mean that you know, it was almost paving the way for best practice, was paving the way for innovation, award-winning campaigns in Australia, and was very lucky for that to, to drive me forward into a lot of senior-level conversations at a young age. And I think that that passion for innovation has just been a, a bug that hasn't let go of me. I, about five years ago, was was pushing brands to work with creators and was pushing brands to find ways of capturing first-party data and not be at the mercy of platforms like Google and Facebook. And that passion's carried me forward. And I've always had an interest broadly in digital media and having, you know, gone sort of with the Daily Mail, you know, coming back over to the UK, actually started my career out in the UK, went to Australia and came back. But, you know, working with influencers was this thing I could just see growing. I could just see that consumer trust was moving away from broadcast media. I could see that we were moving from marketing in a 
you know, one-to-many format to a many-to-many format. Advertising was becoming increasingly opt-in. People were blocking ads and, you know, their media consumption was all, you know, it's at our mercy. We'll unfollow if we don't, if we don't like to hear what you're saying. Every single consumer has that opportunity to unfollow you or opt out of what they see. And so that's a, that's a totally different, I guess, landscape for brands these days. And for me, you know, working with everyday people, your everyday customers and being able to democratize advertising in that way was a really interesting challenge. And, you know, seeing advertising dollars essentially spread across their, you know, their customers to enable them to be not just their sales department, but their marketing department, their creative department, because, you know, everyday people are creating incredible content and have very highly valued relationships that are just embedded in trust with their followers on online, whether you have 500 followers or you have a few thousand, was a really interesting challenge. And so when the role came up at Tribe, it was an absolute no-brainer because I'd actually been working with Tribe as a customer of theirs on the other side. And I had totally bought into the, the concept of brands being able to connect with everyday people to celebrate them through beautiful content. And that's kind of landed me where I am now which has always been, like I said, you know, driving the market forward and looking for what's new and what's next and how that delivers results to clients. And um, you know, I've had a very, very niche amount of experience in sort of digital media, but I think it's it's really prepared me for for where I am today, which is yeah, leading this this startup in the UK. That's so incredibly insightful. And I just love how switched on and confident you are about all of the knowledge and all of these really big players that you're just seemingly just taking everything in your stride. I think it's wonderful. And I'm really curious to know, have you have you always been like this? You know, because you seem very, very switched on and very, very focused when it comes to business. You know, you're talking about the real transition, the democratization of what's happened with the digital landscape, the influencers being able to spot these trends. I mean, you're absolutely on it. Did you become like this? Was it hard work or was it, uh, I, I don't know, have you been encouraged to, to be like this from a young age with your family or through big influences in your personal life? I definitely think it's... Um... It's my upbringing. So both my parents, my mom was a, you know, an immigrant from Croatia to Australia from a young age was having to move straight into work and, um, you know, fend for her family. And my, my father was the same. He came from a very, very poor upbringing. I remember him telling me stories about, you know, him sort of standing outside his favorite football club on a Saturday, just hoping they would accidentally kick a football over the fence just so he could have one for his brothers to play with. Um, together created an amazing partnership work ethic that is completely unrivaled from from what I've seen you know my dad ended up becoming the managing director of of Lloyd's and and the man didn't even finish high school you know he worked his way up as a bank teller and all the way through um you know just learning and networking and and working incredibly hard my mum was also um fantastically entrepreneurial herself in what she's done sort of in the home sphere, which has been about renovating houses and building, I guess, building economic value in in the home as well. So I've just grown up around people who would just roll their sleeves up and absolutely lead by example. And there's never been any sacrifices in terms of you know, the, the relationships that we've been able to have or, you know, their value and family as well. So I'm very fortunate in that that was sort of my upbringing. And then my, my brother, very famously, anyone that knows me, 
it was also an Olympian in Australia. He was a dual Olympic medalist or three-time Olympic medalist, I should say, wow. an Australian swimmer. So I kind of don't really, you know, you know what I mean? You just, all of a sudden you've, you've got amazing role models around you. It's, it definitely has to stick to you somehow in your DNA, that level of achievement and it's all come from from hard work you know nothing was really handed to to our family and I think that's something I respect because it just means that you know there's a real lack of entitlement and a real level of gratitude for the opportunities that have been built for me that you know I almost have never wanted to take any of it for granted and and you definitely want to make your family proud so I think that this has been my version of it but there's also a story, I think, you know, my brother asked me when we were about, I was about four years old, I think, and he was nine and we were walking around a driving range and the driving range was quite far away from where they were selling buckets of balls to these golfers. And um, my brother said, okay, well, you know, why don't you grab a bucket? We'll go pick up these balls and we'll, we'll sell them back to the golfers for half price of the, of the pro shop. And I said, oh, that's a great idea. I did anything my older brother would tell me anyway. So this little four-year-old girl and I was just following around, picking up balls, just walking around with him. And then as it's been told me, apparently I'm going, um, walking around behind my brother and then undercutting him. So he was trying to sell him <laughs> for five bucks and I would walk around selling him for $3 to the same golfers and um, put him out of business. So it definitely must be ingrained in me from a young age. Oh, thank you so much for sharing such personal, beautiful stories. That's uh, that's just incredible. So you're clearly very entrepreneurial then from a young age. And what a heartwarming story that you know, both your parents were, were immigrants, really, really hardworking. And I love that you shared that with all of our listeners as well, because you know, I obviously feel very lucky that I get to speak to leaders from all different walks of life day in, day out. And I think as millennials, without being too biased here, I do think that we get a bit of a hard rep sometimes because when I'm often at these classic kind of leadership conferences and, you know, the 40, 50, 60 year old leaders who are in these, you know, big FTSE organizations. And again, disclaimer here, I don't want to um, generalize at all, but their concept of millennials and zillennials can sometimes be that of entitlement and that of the fact that they don't want to work as hard because they think they can splash their life on social media and get rich quick and get successful and everything like that. And, you know, that makes me really mad sometimes because I think that there's entitlement and there is that laziness that exists in all different generations and in all different works, walks of life. And like you, I mean, I was adopted. So both of my parents, they were kind of reverse. They went off to Hong Kong to work, actually. Both very hardworking, mum for the NHS. Certainly we were not from a privileged background, but really instilled in me and my younger brother this hard work ethic. So when you were describing your, your family and your upbringing, that really resonated with me because I thought, you know what? it really is the role models. It is it is nurture as opposed to nature, I think, that has really given that DNA of hard work and not feeling entitled, like you so, so correctly said, you know, not having that feeling of entitlement or taking anything for granted. And I think it, it's millennials and leaders like yourself who really are paving the way and making a difference in the world. And I think it's just so great to see. And it's great that the that people like you are getting these awards and accolades that are really championing and recognizing what you do, because 
I think it's really, really important to kind of to be able to face any adversity. And, you know, these days with social media, you can put anything online, can't you? And so actually keeping as much positive messaging and positive stories out there is great because there's many that haven't come from privileged backgrounds and there's many who would love to be in a position that you or maybe even I am in right now. And I think it's important that we inspire those people and get voices out there to be heard because this is a very, very different landscape to that of our mothers and fathers and that kind of couple of decades worth. Well, I almost think of us as as living almost in two dimensions now. You know, there's, mm. there's you know, there's the real world you know the the everyday realm and there's the cyber world as well and I think that's probably something our parents didn't have to grapple with as as much as we do and probably a a future they couldn't visualize because I do imagine if a lot of older generations could properly visualize the challenges that their children were going to be faced with with technology with the, the sort of changing nature of identity and how that identity is depicted online and in real life, etc. I think there probably would have been some different choices or different em- emphases on what was important and what important lessons were there to instill in your in your children. Uh, you know, f- for me, honestly, every generation has a good bunch and a bad bunch, but our generation is a uh, just more visible. You know, <laughs> it's all online because there are there are people who who absolutely warp reality and and put up a very false version of themselves online. And I think that's something very rapidly um, is coming to the forefront. If there's anything sort of any buzzword that influencer marketing could have, it's it's authenticity. And I don't want that to get tired because. You know, there is something in the ability for people to be genuinely authentic, genuinely vulnerable. But I think that sort of the follow up from that is going to be that the people that will win in our generation and in business and in leadership will have a certain level of accountability to the public persona that they put out there. Because anyone can write that they're a CEO and founder of their own company on LinkedIn. But ultimately, I think what we're doing is getting very, very good at truth seeking in our generation. You know, we're we're very resourceful. We have all of the world's information at our fingertips. And so to sort of go through the, the fake news epidemic and all of these issues that we're having and being faced with both in business and in society, I think the ability to to truth seek and have genuine debates and you know find out what is real is an incredibly valuable currency. And you know, someone once told me cream rises to the top. And I, I do just think that is the case. And you, you know, I know a lot of people that see people in their generation making a quick buck or, you know, going about things the wrong way and making money online or things like that. But, you know, inevitably that it's not sustainable growth and and um, although they might be creating some sort of economic value for themselves, it's not ever the full picture online. And I think people have been coming quite savvy about that. I couldn't agree more. And I love the terminology that you use there about truth seeking and accountability, because I think that is perhaps something that older generations do maybe sometimes negate to see. Whilst it's a very different way of working, actually, it poses its own challenges. Being visible and naturally more vulnerable because of everything that's happening with social media I think you're you know you open yourself up to a a huge amount more scrutiny and so you do have to to a degree 
be able to work harder. And, you know, to touch on your point about authenticity, I also agree. I really hope that that does not get tired and old because I'm so, so into embracing one's humanistic and authentic self. I think that is the beautiful thing about storytelling, about everything online and being able to reach so much of a larger and wider audience is that anyone from their front room through to their bedroom through to, you know, being a FTSE Fortune listed company can get their voice heard. And I think there's just something so remarkable about that. And really, I just can't wait to see what happens in the next 10, 20 years. I'm sure, again, it will be totally different. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, with the the rate of technological change, you know, it's almost like we're standing in front of a a vertical curve in, in some respects. I think the one thing that our generation is faced with is, you know, probably similar to our parents' generation, which is you, you almost can't imagine the future. You know, humans are fantastic at being able to, you know, imagine a reality and corral people around an idea or something that doesn't exist and, and build and create towards it. But I do think for for families, for for business, for for societies at large. There are going to be so many changes that come at us so quickly. I think it's about developing a level of resilience to errors because with this amount of innovation, there's essentially going to be everyone making a first mover advantage and a first mover mistake, um, which you know can have some pretty amazing implications, both positive and negative, as we've seen with Facebook. I think Facebook got an incredibly bad rap and they definitely can make some better decisions um, in terms of how they run their platform and rules and regulations around content and basically the the way that their business model works. But equally, there's so many benefits that a a Facebook and a connected network of billions of people that are sometimes intangible and and don't get weighed up against the, the negatives as well. And I think that you know, that's the cost of innovation that our generation is is going to have to face. And it creates a very interesting business landscape for the next 20, 30 years for us. And it's interesting that you talk about kind of these intangibles and also authenticity. I think that emotional intelligence and the personal approach will be that probably the most valuable commodity of the future, because those things that can't be automated, but you can't automate a very specific, uniquely human personality. And so really actually fostering those long-term sustainable relationships. I know you talked about sustainability, which um, you know I think is so, so important to foster, not just to be in it for the quick buck, because you do get found out, cream does rise to the top and people find out very, very quickly. So actually, how do we counteract that really by, by really truly being authentic, by really fostering those strong, meaningful encounters and relationships and you know, following everything else that you said, frankly, you know, working hard and networking and everything like that, which I guess leads me on to because I could talk to you for a million years about your dimensions, because that was so fascinating to me. So much so that actually, I wouldn't mind maybe picking your brains about that and having you as a piece in a book that I'm writing on purpose-led leadership. But I will chat to you about that after the show. But very quickly, I'd love to just kind of whip into a lightning round because I'm conscious that you're super busy and I probably have to get off to lots of important meetings. So I will give you 30 seconds to answer each of the questions that I'm going to ask. And then we'll go into a little summary just of the key learning points so that all of our listeners can find out how they can contact you and take away some valuable pearls of wisdom from today. So... 
first question is who's been your biggest inspiration to date and why i would actually say i had i had one manager in particular um who he he was a young leader himself. I think he, he took his responsibility of management very seriously. And so I was young and he cared very deeply and challenged me directly. You know, he wanted me to succeed. And in order to do that, he only wanted me to understand where my strengths were um, and how I was impacting people around me when I was in states of stress. And I think that having a manager to take the time to help you get to know you at a, at such a young age has had a remarkable impact on on my career and my confidence and and my resilience. So, his name is Andrew Cambridge, and he's very humble. So I can't imagine he he would take that compliment well. But um, um, I think he's had the most fundamental impact on, I guess, a, a real change in course and and changing the foundations of my career for sure. Amazing. So shout out to Andrew then. And what does diversity and inclusion mean to you? For me, diversity is, you know, it, it, it brings in all different types of thinking, you know, whether it's gender diversity, racial, nationality-based, skills-based, neurodiversity. Having people come at a shared problem from different perspectives is what drives innovation forward. Um, I'm really not a fan of groupthink. I, anytime, you know, I say to people, do you have a question? And they say, no, nah, I worry. That's why I think it drives innovation, fuels innovation. And if you were going to give advice to your younger self, even though you are young as it is, what advice would you give or in fact to any of our young or more mature listeners who are listening out there that are really looking to be inspired and would love to be where you are today, what advice might you give? I would say, you know, you can fake it till you make it, but be vulnerable about it. Tell people that, you know, you're you're figuring it out and be open about what you don't know, because I think that's the fastest way to learn. I'd say, yeah, be be comfortable in, in the uncomfortable. I love that expression, be comfortable in the uncomfortable. That's incredible. And finally... Are there any books or podcasts or people that you're listening to or following, in fact, should have asked about the influences out there that you're you're finding particularly inspirational or are reading a lot about at the moment? I mean, I'm just a B2B nerd. So anything that is actually about media and technology, that's what I spend my time doing. To be honest, I actually really love the, the conversations that Scott Galloway and Paris Swisher have. You know, they've got a podcast called Pivot. And to be honest, it's just because it's it's regular, it's topical, it gets to the point. And, you know, I think that they're, they've got a fantastic uh, dynamic. So I like them. Good stuff. So Pivot is the podcast to listen Pivot. to. Pivot. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm just going to summarize for all of our listeners. I mean, there's so many things that we've covered today that, that I could go on and talk about, probably make another podcast of a summary of all the amazing learnings from today. But I will quickly just run through some of the pieces that I have learned. And I'm sure our listeners have learned for everyone who's tuning in today on Apple or Android or on YouTube is that do you know what? It's really important to be be hardworking, to be accountable, to to really make your way up through the ladder by embracing your true and authentic self. As Lisa very, very rightly and wisely says, cream rises to the top. And so don't be scared to be vulnerable. Don't be scared to be your authentic self. Do you know what? The right people will be out there listening and waiting to embrace you for who you really are. 
You know, yes, you can put on a game face and yes, you might be able to make a quick buck, but is it really going to be sustainable in the long run? And really sustainability for the long run and happiness in, in, in the long run is what we're all about. It's why we're here on planet Earth is to hopefully make the world a better place. And I think Lisa is just an absolute gleaming, sparkling example of a millennial leader who is really changing the face of digital, social media and everything like that. And I'm so pleased that she's been recognized for all of these awards. So I think if you're a millennial leader or if you're a zillennial leader or if you're a leader of any walk of life, please do get in touch and um, you know feel free as well to, to reach out to Lisa. I will put all of her contact details and you know, obviously a link to her LinkedIn profile there on the show notes for today's episode. And I guess all that is left is for me to say thanks so much, Lisa, for, for being on the show. You've been absolutely no, wonderful. You. You've just been such a natural. And you know some of those stories, those personal stories, especially about the family, were just absolutely gorgeous. I, I really enjoyed this episode and I'm sure everyone else will as well at home who's tuning in. As have I. Thank you. Thanks so much. So my name is Layla McKenzie and you've been listening to Lisa Target and myself on the podcast today. It's out weekly. It's called Diverse and Inclusive Leaders. We're here to educate, inspire and motivate others to make the world a better place. Please do tune in for next week's episode. Please do give us a five-star rating if you enjoyed it on Apple or Android or on YouTube. And if you visit www.laylamckenzie.com forward slash podcasts, I'll put all of the details for the information for Lisa and some of those really great pulse of wisdom that she mentioned in today's show. So thank you for listening and I look forward to seeing you next week. Bye for now. Bye.